Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Welcome to this session on... Same-sex lust, am I unique? My name is Ted, and I'm a sexaholic. I will be a leader for this session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Uh, I suggest if we, if there are a group of people, just use the chairs here to wait in line, or maybe the chairs right here in the front row, and as one finishes, the next person can step up to the microphone. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. Will you please join me in opening this session with the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. The guidelines for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our meetings focus on the essay approach to recovery, so whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. We have built the convention theme around the last paragraph of A Vision for You on page 164 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you charge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. As much as is practical, please build your shares around the concept of how working the program, a particular step, or the subject of our topic helps grow towards entering the world of the spirit. So if we can, let's stay on subject throughout the meeting. Thank you. The format of the meeting is I'm going to share for a few minutes, 10 or 15 minutes, and then the floor will be open for sharing. Uh, I don't know that we need a time limit for shares, but uh, if it does carry on, we'll t- I'll just give you a signal and just pass the microphone over to the next uh, fellow. Uh, 
As I said, my name is Ted. I'm a sexaholic. My sobriety date is July 10th of 2007. And I'm grateful to be sober, and I'm even more grateful to be here at this convention with all of you for this weekend. I want to start off the subject of Am I Unique? by reading a few pages out of the big book, specifically pages 20, 21, 22, excerpts from those pages. So if you have the book, big book, if you have the big book with you and you want to follow along, please do. It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done. Before going into a tale discussion, it may be well to summarize some points as we see them. How many times have people said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her. The doctor told him that if he ever drank again, it would kill him. But there he is, all lit up again. Now these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have a good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. What about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. He is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet, early the next morning, he reaches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. The tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable, at certain times, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink.
Am I unique? Reading that, I'm not unique. Because I am exactly that. And it makes no difference what form my addiction takes any more than it makes a difference in Bill W.'s description as to what form of alcohol the alcoholic drinks. Beer, wine, morning, night, it doesn't matter. That's not the essence of the issue. The essence of the issue is I have no control. I'm Jekyll and Hyde. I can be the most upstanding, sophisticated, intelligent, reasonable person if I'm sober. If I'm not sober, however I got unsober is irrelevant. And that's why I'm not unique. I only learned this in the program. I remember when I first started coming to meetings a few years ago, and people were sharing their MOs. I didn't even know what an MO was, but I saw what other people did, and I learned. So in one of the first meetings that I attended, I said, and I'm same-sex attracted. After the meeting, one of the fellows came up to me and said, you have a lot of courage. I was shocked. I mean, what did I do? He said, well, you know, you said that you're same-sex attracted. That takes a lot of courage. And I looked at him and I said, but that's what I am. That's why I'm here. And I didn't understand what he was saying. I mean, I, I couldn't connect the dots. As I went to more and more meetings, I would listen to people tell their stories. And every once in a while, someone would tell their story about what I thought was some really outrageous sexual escapades, doing some incredibly insane things. And then they'd say something like, and then I crossed the line and I had sex with another man or another woman in that case. And I'd scratch my head and I'd say, why is that the craziest thing you ever did? I don't think that's so crazy. I think that's the sanest thing you ever did. So what is the story here? Why, you know, what makes me think that I'm unique? When all, everything that I read, everything that I hear, everything that I see in the fellowship tells me that I'm not. In point of fact, that's the greatest revelation I get out of my, 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 my participation in the fellowship. I am not unique. More than that, I am not alone. I'm just like a lot of other people. A lot of other people have the same issues that I have. They may express them in different ways, just as people use different languages and different words and different cultures to live their lives. But the reality is, as Bill W. says, at the core of that lack of understanding is ignorance. It's just a lack of understanding. For myself, in the first case, and for the people around me. I'm not any more unique than the person in the next room that's discussing some other aspect of sexual addiction, or the room in the next room discussing some alcoholic addiction or some drug addiction. I'm an addict. And as an addict, I have a very serious problem. My problem is, if I let myself delve into my addiction, I become that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde person that tears my own world around me at the most inopportune time. How do I know this? Fifty years of living proof. Believe me, it's true. I've done it. I wish I could say a thousand times, but I'd be lying. Way more than a thousand times, I've torn my world down around me after working my butt off to build it up. And only through the insanity of the addiction, my inability to see what I was and who I was and what I was doing, did I tear my world down around me. Nobody asked me when I tore my world down and ruined my reputation and ruined my family and hurt the people that I loved and destroyed my business and countless other wreckages in my past. Nobody asked me, oh, by the way, did you do that in the morning or the night? Did you do that with a man or with a woman or with something else? Nobody cared. All they were asking me was, what did I do? What was I accountable for? What was I responsible for? And the reality is, I was responsible for making a tremendous number of very poor decisions about my life. 
That's the reality of why I'm not any more unique than any of the other people in our fellowship or the people in the other 12-step programs where they suffer from the same issues. So yes, I can sit on the pity pot and I could say, oh, woe is me, I'm so unique. I'm the only one who's same-sex attracted and everybody looks at me funny. And I do it all the time, by the way. Don't think I don't. I do. And I suffer from that many, many, many mornings and many, many nights. But you know what? Reading these pages again in the last few days preparing for this session, it drove home the point again to me that, I, that again, was first made to me when I came to the meetings. I'm not unique. And you know what? I don't want to be unique. I want to be just like each and every one of you. I want to be just like you. I want to come to a room where I can feel welcome, where I can express my fears, my anxieties, my insecurities, and I can be welcome for who I am and what I am. And that's what I found in the fellowship. And by sharing with you and everybody that I've met in this program over the past number of years, I've been able to get in touch with the most important person in the world, me, and understand myself better, again, for who I am and what I am. Will I change? Yes, I've changed. I've changed quite a bit. I try not to be that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde person. I try to be more stable in my day. I try to use other people as being part of my higher power, part of my guiding light, part of, part of my opening myself up to be honest and forthright, which I could never be in my addiction. I try to live a life which is much more, um, <laughs> I hate using this word, boring than my earlier life. And there's another session that we'll be having later on during this uh, convention where we're talking about what is it to live a sober essay life and same-sex attraction, and I really look forward to that as well. The fact is that this life has so much more to offer me than anything I've ever found in my life of addiction. And being sober, coming to these meetings, coming to these conventions, going meeting all my friends that I've met through the fellowship, nobody cares how I got here. Nobody has a, a target on my back calling me this or calling me that. I walk into the room and I get the same welcome everybody else gets. I share like everybody else shares. I participate just like everybody else shares. I cry like everybody else cries. I hurt like everybody else hurts. And I smile just like everybody else smiles. I'm not unique. The last point I want to make is that somewhere in this weekend, we're to speak about the fellowship of the Spirit and bring our higher power into the discussions. My higher power, my God as I call Him, accepts me as I am. He knows what I am, who I am, what I did, where I came from. I don't need to remind Him. And He doesn't remind me, by the way. He accepts me for who I am. I don't think He thinks I'm unique. He's created six billion of us as we stand right now, so I don't think I'm the most unique guy in the world. I think that if I'm willing to understand that I'm not unique, that I'm one of many, 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 many people, then I will give up my ego, I will give up my pride, I will give up my addiction and accept a life that's built on sanity, serenity, and sobriety. Thanks for letting me share. The meeting is running until 4.30. Anybody would like to share, please come up. And again, capital letters here, do not tamper with the recording equipment. <laughs>
myself and seeking harm from men in the S&M world. Um, and I have been given a great opportunity in the past to give service and to help others in these contexts. But when people say to me, it's really hard for me to go down the street and see someone or you know, to involve myself with these people without feeling you know, getting hits or being, you know, tempted to go back to my MOs. I couldn't relate because to me, I had to really do something. I had to go into chat rooms or seek people out in very unusual ways. And so I couldn't relate. And when I'm helping people, and I have been, I have a number of sponsees, I couldn't relate to that. And I kind of felt like um, that was a liability because that was one aspect of their um, problem that it just, it just you know, flew under my radar. Recently, in my attempt to get healthy, um, I joined a gym. And I've never tried, you know, to do what I'm doing to celebrate my own femininity as to lose weight. And I go to a gym where, and I'm sure this isn't unusual, women decide they don't need their dressing rooms. and. It absolutely floored me, freaked me out how I reacted to the point that, you know, I have to go at 5 a.m. so that I was the only one in the locker room. And I couldn't believe it. And, of course, my husband, and he's invested in this point of view. Oh, you're not same-sex attracted. You know, don't worry about it. And, you know, I ran to my therapist. And, like, from, from the very beginning, it wasn't like I had this fear that suddenly, you know, I was gay. It was more like... Um, I felt blessed because now when people say I can't be among people in a, in, a, in a way like that I see them on an ongoing basis without being affected, I can relate to that now. I've since found out, and it really doesn't matter at this point why, but to me I did find out that it's the complete absence of any kind of love and you know, actual hatred that my mother had for all of us. She didn't want to be a mother. And so... She rejected me so completely and my siblings and admits it. She still to this day says she never wanted to be a parent. Um, that I'm hungering for these women and the aspects of them that are their sexuality um, as a young girl would hunger for her mother and the nurturing, nurse, nurturing and nursing that she could provide. And I don't know that that's what everybody has going on when they seek, when they're same sex attracted. But all I know is that that gave me peace. It didn't take it away, but I no longer wait until 5 a.m. to work out. Um, I see these women for the beautiful women that they are. I kind of wish they would use a dressing room, but that's their prerogative. And um, I feel a lot more at peace about it. And I'm grateful to God that I was given this opportunity to relate more to what other people are experiencing. Thank you. Thank you, Bernadette. My name is Maria. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Maria. Um, I wanted to... Let's see. Most of my acting out was with men. Um, but uh, when I was six, my mother told me the reason my dad divorced her was because I was a girl. She also told me that it wasn't for me. I She would commit suicide. Um, so I became a caretaker. Where this is going, I'm not sure. Except for the fact that... I have tried more than once to have a sexual relationship with a woman, and I never could find one. And that has to be definitely a higher power thing. But I came to the belief that even acting out with men at one point was trying to fill up that um, higher power size hole in my soul was by acting out love, sex was the best gift I could give anybody and that they could give me. I didn't know about love, real love. And so I thought I could fill that hole, that mother hole, that I thought, not God, uh, by having a sexual relationship with a woman. So I've kind of gone past that or forgot that or let go of that. And I'm a little over four years sober. And now I've been noticing. I've been body parting women. And wherever I am, 
you know, I look at their chest, and I look not once but twice, and I'm going, what is going on? And I realize I'm not unique, thank you, and um, I need to use the tools of the program. I realize I've been saying, don't do that again. I have been at times, you know, turning it over, help, I can't, you know, I can't stop this. Please stop me. Please make it go away. But I needed to come and say that and remember that I said it among men and women. Um, It made me sad to say that. But even women I love and have had a good, clean relationship with, I started doing the same thing. So, it's like the onion. Peel one off and then there's another and another. And I will be a sexaholic all my life. And it looks like I'll have different issues to deal with. Not just personality issues, but I know those will go on. Personality defects. I know those will go on forever, but I hadn't expected this. But I'm glad I could share it today. Thank you. My name is Maria and I'm a sexaholic. Thanks, Marie. I'm Larry, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Larry. I must admit this is the first time that I would have the courage to get up in front of a group and even come into this type of a meeting. Um, I have been married for 35 years. Uh, That marriage is currently in process of divorce. Um, I have been battling my sexuality since my early teens. I was taught early by my mom and by my church that I could not have same-sex thoughts. And they were evil and I was condemned to hell. So I, by middle teens, I was already under the opinion I was going to hell. So um, not much I could do about it. But um, I did follow the, the direction that was placed before me that I did get married. I've got three wonderful kids um, and tried to live a life uh, of, you know, with uh, my family and, and my wife. Uh, but I never was faithful any time during my marriage. Um, my method of acting out has been in men's restrooms and in uh, porn shops and that has been going on for about uh, 40 years that behavior um, once I found this program eight years ago after being arrested my wife found the program for me uh, I had been trying to find the program after seeing an article about sex addicts and uh, going to therapists at all Seven of them that I saw over a, a long period of time, all seven of them said there's no such thing as a sex addict. Um, and I was showing them the article, and he didn't know what he's talking about. But um, I have been arrested three times for my acting out. I've been in prison twice already. Six months, uh, first stint, and three years last stint. This year, I was arrested again. I lost seven years of sobriety after finding this program this year. Again in a men's restroom. Right now, I am facing going back to jail again. Probably for an extended period of time this year. This time. So, this idea of not being unique and finding out how to deal with this part of me is very important for me to uh, hear and get to know people that have been dealing with this. So I am glad that I was surprised to see this topic, and I am very pleased to see that it's here and hope to learn a lot about it. Thank you.
I'm Bob. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Bob. Um, and I am uh, same-sex attracted. Um, I guess I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. Um, the joy of the program for me was um, I carried this um, same-sex attraction and acting out with men, um, and I was really the only person in the world that knew about it other than the guys that I acted out with. Um, my wife found out about it, but she hasn't found out everything. Um, but when I walked into that first SA meeting, um, there was other men, there was another man there who shared before, or who qualified before I did. And, um, and he said that he was same-sex attracted and went to um, adult bookstores and, and um, acted out with men. And I was just uh, blown away. I couldn't believe that I'd be able to share that. I, I didn't expect to be able to ever tell anybody about that part of me. Um, I'd carried that guilt um, and... Um, for so many years, 50 plus years, because um, this started when I was a, um, a teenager, um, and it's been going on, and I've got a 40-year marriage, and, and my wife is still with me, um, and that in and of itself is a miracle. But um, the program has been um, a gift, a gift from God, as I see it, um, to be able to go into meetings and share um, what my proclivities were um, and not be shunned and not be looked down upon. And the guys talk to me the same as when before I shared, um, when I'm leaving the meeting and after the meeting and, and um, you know, and uh, offer me a ride to go here or go to dinner with them or go to breakfast with them or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, um, it's an amazing gift. Um, and um, I just... Uh, and as far as being um, a spiritual program, it's my belief that that's what SA is. It's a spiritual program. Um, I've always been a Christian, but I've always searched for God. And I never found God. I used sex to fill that emptiness inside me. Um, and now I have a chance that I can make that connection with God and and my higher power, and and um, and for that I'm also grateful. Thanks. Hi, I'm Doug, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Doug. Yeah, my story is similar. Uh, many, many, many years of sexual acting out. Anonymous sex with men um, in a, at the same time in a very committed marriage now of 45 years. We're counting up here. Um, when I first uh, um, fell apart and started to look for help, I first went to study where I might get help. Uh, where I might get help, and uh, I discovered that there were several different programs, uh, 12-step programs, that might offer help to me. And uh, when I read the definition at uh, SA, I thought, well, that's probably not the place for me. I guess I belong in one of those other programs. And so I visited those first, but I thought, well, I know I should investigate all of them. And so I came to my first SA meeting, and um, uh, in God's goodness, the person that welcomed me and shared his story with me shared that he had same-sex attraction, and I knew that I was home. And when I came to the program, of course, um, in a lot of ways, I wanted to be unique. I didn't want to be like everybody else. I wanted to be unique, because that could explain why. I could, I could be a victim, and then, you know, then I wouldn't have to worry about <laughs> why I was doing all this. But the program quickly taught me that I, I don't have to be a victim. And it took a little while for me to figure out, you know, well, what am I? That question always came up. What was my orientation? And I struggled with that question for a good long time until I finally realized, oh, I know the answer to that question. I'm just an addict. I'm not unique at all. For me, the program has totally changed my life. 
I um, have 10 years of sobriety this year, and um, uh, God has been good. This is a program where I, too, grew close to God, surrendered my addiction to him, and uh, I'm walking in a, a new path today. May you do the same. Thanks, Doug. I'm David Sexahawk. Hey, David. I had a lot of shame around this issue. I still remember when I went into my first meeting and I wasn't, I didn't want to say anything, but I was able to talk to the people that had 12 step me and, uh, and uh, tell them my story. And that was the beginning of me actually telling somebody for the first time stuff that I'd kept inside for decades, uh, things I wouldn't want to tell anybody in the world. And I, this shame was, was very hard for me, but I, I realized that over the years, dealing with sponsees and stuff, every single person had a lot of shame about something or other <laughs> they had done. And they all thought that whatever they'd done was the worst thing in the world. And I would listen, to, and they'd say, and, and here's the worst thing, and they'd say it. And it was like, okay, you know. And I realized that for them it really was the worst thing, and they had to be able to share that. And I realized that we aren't unique. We all have something inside it's all that shame based stuff that we have to get out and be able to share and I know my sponsor told me early on the more that you're able to tell your story uh, the more your shame will be eased and so I, I really took that to heart and I'm I like to do a lot of 12-step calls and, I, and to tell people my story um, I if you have a newcomer meeting I make a point of speaking and saying you know a little bit of my story and, and mention that uh, my dealings with you know uh, with same-sex uh, attraction. And surprisingly, that little bit of, of just sharing that, other people suddenly feel that they can share more of the things that are shameful to them too. And that's the beauty in this program is people sense when there's honesty and, people, and real sharing and then people are able to open up and share the things that they can't share anywhere else and, and feel really like they belong. I know at the beginning I was worried about things like if I'd have a, somebody ask me to be their sponsor, I'd say, well, well, you know, this is my acting out. Are you okay with that, you know? And, um, they, you know, they all went, well, well yeah. Well, why would that be a big deal? And I was the one that was making myself unique. You know, they couldn't care less. They knew they saw, you know, an addict's an addict, and that's all we need. Um, I was careful about things like at the beginning, you know, like, would this person want a hug from me, like at the end of a meeting, you know, because I said I was same, you know, so, you know, I, I, and now, you know, it's like, I don't worry about that so much, but it was more me worrying, feeling shame rather than anybody else putting it on me. Thanks. I'm Lewis, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Lewis. And, um, I guess uh, the, two days ago I had a birthday. I was 70 years old, but I guess I'm about 17. I got you. So uh, <laughs> I, I started to grow up in this program. Uh, started in September of '93, and that would be my uh, uh, sobriety time. So uh, uh, my technical sobriety time, as long as I can say that, as long as Harvey's not here. Right. The technical <laughs> sobriety day. But um, you know, I've been attracted to. Uh, not only same sex but other sex, animals, uh, everything in my life, you know. And I thought, I wish I could be unique, you know. <laughs> but uh, when I went into the program, when I came into the program, I came in through a treatment program, a uh, treatment center, and um, surprisingly, uh, they told me I had other problems. That not sex was only a part of my problem, but I had other issues under underlying that, and the. Uh, Problems I had was an ego issue, and uh, I thought I was the center of the universe, and I still think that once in a while. <laughs> but uh, and and since even since I've been out of treatment, I've run across that a couple times. Like uh, I go to the store, and uh, these uh, young men that uh, put the groceries in the sack for me, you know, they talk to me and all. And I say, "Hey, gone, he's coming on to me," and. Uh, I have to remind myself that, no, he's not coming on to me. He's just doing what young people do. They act foolish, and they kid, and they joke around. And uh, so to be honest with myself is one of the ways that I get over the the shame issue in my life and the and gives me hope, hope for staying in recovery. 
And um, the other, one of the other things that I usually do is uh, when I run into somebody that is attractive and I have to take that second look, uh, I'd say, you know, God, you've got a sense of humor that just won't quit. You know, <laughs> I go along pretty good in life and all of a sudden he blindsides me with some cute guy, you know, or, or you know, some person that's going to attract me. So I say, God's got a sense of humor because I, I was asking prayer for, for um, help to stay in recovery. And uh, my staying in recovery is uh, is kind of like a virtue. It's kind of like a muscle. I need to exercise it. And so I need to exercise my program, my tools and, and that the program gives me. And in order to do that, every once in a while, I have to be blindsided by someone that's attractive, you know. And uh, that's why I say God's got a sense of humor. just absolutely will not quit. And uh, I usually, you know, thank him for that, too, because it gives me a chance to to use the tools and, and to surrender uh, to him. And I, I'm interested in the um, one of the programs, one of the meetings uh, talks about surrender and submission. And I, I'm interested in that distinction because uh, uh, I think once I just gave up and that was my submitting, but now I, I try to surrender. I try to invite God into my life. So, thanks. That's. Oh, don't touch it, right? Hi, I'm Ainsley, grateful recovering sex hog. Um, I've never shared much in these meetings, and certainly not from a microphone. So. A little nervous, but um, I uh, I had considered myself bisexual throughout high school and college, and um, and acted out in those ways. And um, but I also knew during that time that I really wanted to have some kind, you know, a lifelong monogamous relationship with someone, and that presented a problem, thinking that I was bisexual because at some point I would have to choose. And um, I ended up meeting my future husband when I was only 21, um, and you know, felt like that was who I was supposed to be with, and that really presented me with a tremendous amount of soul-searching and and prayer at the time and was really uh, racking my brain and anguishing about the whole thing. And um, I hadn't found these dreams, didn't know anything about this, didn't know that's what I was, didn't know I was an essay. Um, now, 11 years looking back on that, um, there's no question that my husband and I were both essays, are both essays. Um, and, uh, but I... I came to some measure of surrender to my God at the time without knowing about these dreams where I did say to God, um, I know there's a huge hole in me that I'm trying to fill with same-sex relationships, and, um, but I also feel like you have shown me that this man is who I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life, and so um, I'm going to trust you to fill this. The problem was is that I didn't have a program and I didn't have any tools. Um, I had, you know, I had some tools here and there because I had my God, but um, I just didn't know. And what I wanted in my heart to be surrender ended up turning into control. And um, I never consciously said, well, I'm going to totally shut down sexually so that I don't act out. But that was what I did. And I became sexually anorexic for about six years. Well... That combined with being married to an essay husband who didn't know he was an essay was just absolutely uh, a sinking ship. And um, we, uh, he ended up getting even heavier and heavier into alcohol and pornography, and I became more and more frozen and more and more terrified of sex. I was terrified of women um, because I was... Uh, I was, you know, back in my faith tradition, and and I was afraid that, you know, if they, I was, I was more willing to tell them that I was a drug addict than I was that I had same-sex attraction, um, because I thought, I mean, I so I did not go to any of the women's meetings and get-togethers where I could have gotten to have friends and everything. So here we were, my husband and I, all codependent on each other and addicted, and you know, like the same side of a magnet, just repelling each other, and we didn't have any any support system outside of ourselves because I was terrified of friendships with women. And, um, you know, right around the time that I found a recovery program, it wasn't this one yet, something happened in there. At least I was working the 12 steps. And I was kind of working the 12 steps in a more general way. And um, 
But at least I was working them and God was doing something in me. And he started putting me in places where I was willing to take a risk and go to some things where I knew there would be healthy, godly women around and take a risk to even look them in the eye and maybe try to have a friend. And um, that was in 2006, and it has been a long journey. Um, and I've only been in SA now for about a year and a half. But it has been such a blessing to me that I realized a year ago when I, I went through a divorce, we did get divorced, um, I looked around my life and I realized I have probably a hundred women around me who are my mothers, my sisters, my daughters. Um, I still don't have a close relationship with my mother. I have a fabulous sister, and I always have. But I always, like, it was never, like, I couldn't, she can't be everything to me. And God has graciously made it so that he, you know, I still have this longing sometimes to have that one girlfriend that's just like, you know, it's like, I'm like, well, God, I don't want to be sexual, but I, I still want to be really codependent on just one girl. And he's been, he's, yeah, that would last long. He has graciously, um, he has graciously not allowed me to meet that need in that way. He has graciously provided me with, like I said, probably 20, 40 different women in my life that all meet a piece of that need and I can give back to them. And um, that hole is being filled. And I now feel safe with women. And I, I'm realizing now that, you know, last night I was even able to pick up a girl from the airport who my work had asked me to pick her up and would I host her for the night uh, at my house. And I wasn't afraid. And we had a great time. And we went out to dinner and um, went to work this morning and took her back to the airport. And it, it was safe and protected. Is that what we say? We get to a place where we feel safe and protected by our higher power. And um, I'm just so grateful for that, realizing that 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 these promises are actually happening in my life. And um, I'm very grateful. And I'm very grateful that I'm not unique either. Thank you. My name is Ted. I'm a sexaholic. You guys look familiar. Um, one of the things that, going on the subject of being unique, I read from the blue book, but we can read from the white book just as well. In defining sobriety, we do not speak of those outside sexaholics anonymous. We can only speak for ourselves. Thus, for the married sexaholic, sexual sobriety means having no form of sex with self, with persons other than the spouse, for the unmarried sexaholic, sexual sobriety means freedom from sex of any kind. And for all of us, single and married alike, sexual sobriety includes progressive victory over lust. We've said it a zillion times, for those of us that have been in the program longer anyway. Uh, on page 43 of the White Book, focusing on progressive victory over lust and how unique I am. How many people in this room does this resonate with? Lust is not being able to say no. Constantly being in dangerous sexual situations. Turning my head as if sex-starved all the time. Attraction only to beautiful people. Erotic fantasies, use of erotic media being addicted to the partner as I would be to a drug, losing my identity to the partner, obsession with the romantic, going for the chemistry, the desire to make the other person lust. Another personal perspective, lust kills. Lust is the most important thing in my life. It takes priority over me. Captive to lust, I cannot be myself. Lust makes me its slave. It kills my freedom. It kills me. Lust always wants more. Lust creates more lust. Lust is jealous. It wants to possess me. Lust makes me self-obsessed. It drives me into myself. Lust makes sex impossible without lust. Lust destroys the ability to love. It kills love. Lust destroys the ability to receive love. It kills me. Lust creates guilt unavoidably. 
and guilt has to be expiated. Lust makes part of me want to die because I can't bear what I'm doing to myself and my powerlessness over it. Increasingly, I direct this guilt and self-hatred inward and outward. Lust is destructive to me and those around me. Lust kills the spirit. My spirit is me. Lust kills me. There's nothing unique about that. Again, there's nothing in there that says lust after a woman because I'm a man or lust after a man because I'm a woman. It's lust that kills me, just like it kills everybody else. There's no uniqueness to it at all. I think it's um, an incredible gift from the program to be in a room where people are so honest about their frailties, about their insecurities, because bringing those things, those emotions to light is the only way that I've learned to deal with them. And by bringing them out to the meeting here, and hopefully you'll do it as you go through the next 36 hours here, will bring a certain sense of satisfaction that I could never find in the lust. I am absolutely not unique in this. I'm really run-of-the-mill. And as someone else said here, yeah, I know I thought I was the center of the universe. And he really can't be, because I am. And we can't both be at the center of the universe. You know? There was a picture on, the, on, 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 on uh, I think, Yahoo yesterday about some man. Oh, in fact, it's on the front page of the New York Times today. About older people going on adventurous vacations. And they show you an, an, an older man who went to the North Pole and the South Pole. And look, only one guy could be standing on the North Pole at one time, you know. <laughs> and this guy's there. But at being center of the universe, we all think, I would believe, each of us thinks that we are the center of the universe. Right? Yeah, I see a couple of heads shaking out there. Uh, guess what? You're not. <laughs> You're not, and I'm not. And there's a certain beauty in that. Because when I stop being the center of the universe, I can receive all the love and all the affection from all the people around me. And that's what I really need. And that's what makes me the same as everybody else. That's what we crave. Is there anybody? We have another couple of minutes if anyone else would like to share. If not, we'll bring the meeting to a close. Okay. We have a nice way of closing. If you have the uh, conference brochure on the inside front cover, we'll all join in a circle and uh, say the third step prayer.
one addiction for another. <laughs> okay. Oh, this one, this one, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.